Welcome to Purdue Commercial AgCast, the Purdue University Center for Commercial Agriculture's podcast featuring farm management news and information. I'm your host, Jim Minter, Director of the Purdue Center for Commercial Agriculture. And joining me today is Michael Langemeyer, Professor of Ag Economics here at Purdue. We're going to review the results from the May Purdue University CME Group Ag Economy Barometer Survey of farmers from across the nation. So each month, we survey 400 farmers across the U.S. to learn more about their perspective on the ag economy. This month's Ag Economy Barometer Survey was conducted from the 10th through the 14th of May. And Michael, it was a, kind of an interesting month for us here. The Ag Economy Barometer dropped 20 points from a reading of 178 in April to a reading of 158. And you know that still leaves the barometer way higher than it was this time last year. This time last year, it was at 103. So it's still a pretty strong barometer reading. But I wasn't exactly expecting a 20-point decline in the barometer. How about you? I certainly wasn't either. And even though we didn't ask questions directly related uh, to a a couple of things that I think might have contributed to this drop, uh, one of those is, I think, inflation. Uh, There has been stronger inflation uh, in the last month, uh, and there's there's an expectation that that inflation might be higher uh, in the next several months. And so I think that's on people's mind. The other thing is, uh, the, the consumer sentiment index, a U.S. consumer sentiment index, actually dropped in May. Uh, and so I think that also plays here. You know, as you know, uh, farmers are also consumers. Uh, and so they're seeing some of the same things that consumers are seeing. And so I wonder if, 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 if that's also uh, relevant to what we saw. Yeah, I think there's just this whole issue about economic uncertainty uh, that maybe is being reflected a little bit. And and you make a good point with respect to the fact that although this is a producer survey, uh, the people we're surveying are also consumers. And some of the things that are influencing consumer attitudes are also influencing producer attitudes. So if you look at the index of current conditions and the index of future expectations, they both declined this month. So people became a little less optimistic about the current situation on the farming operation, as well as their expectations for the future. So both of those were driving that decline in the barometer that we saw. Um, and the declines were pretty significant. I mean, 195 to 178 on the current condition index and 169 to 149 on the future expectation index. So those are relatively large declines in both of those indices. So it kind of feeds into this idea that there was something more general going on. We saw really kind of parallel moves in the index of current conditions and the index of future expectations. Yeah, and specifically, um, there's something more going on than just prices. Uh, when both of them fall like that, it, it, it you usually don't think it's price driven. Uh, it, it's something else. Yeah, that's a good point. So uh, uh, some uncertainty there in terms of exactly what was driving the decline. We'll talk more about some other things that were going on that maybe contributed to that a little later in our in our broadcast here. But uh, the farm financial performance index declined, not too surprising, given that the index of current conditions went down. Uh, it came in at a reading of 126 down from 138. However, I, I think we need to be a little cautious there about talking about that decline because that 126 is still the second highest reading we've ever gotten for that farm financial performance index. Uh, the 138 still- was was by far and away the highest number we'd ever seen. So the 126 is still the second highest and still reflective of a pretty good situation, especially on crop farms, right? Yeah, it's, it's consistent with the fact that we're expecting uh, net returns on crop farms to be really strong this year. Uh, most of our survey respondents are crop farms or our livestock farms uh, also that are surveyed, but uh, over half, well over half are crop producers. Yeah, so that was, 
I don't want to read too much into that, but there there was some negativity there relative to the prior month, but it's still a very strong farm financial performance index. The farm capital investment index declined uh, 10 points to a reading of 65 compared to 75 a month ago. And keep in mind, the all-time high in that index is about 92 or 93. So um, again, a little bit like some of the other indices, that's still significantly stronger than this time last year, although the margin is, is narrowing. This time last year, that farm capital investment index was at a reading of 50, so it's still significantly higher than last year. But it has come down quite a bit here these last roughly three months, and so that's a little bit surprising. That was um, probably the most surprising drop of the, of the whole survey to me, and and that's that's because that goes back to what I was saying. The net returns for crop producers, in particular, are relatively strong. You would think that would lead to some uh, you know pretty large, uh, significant machinery purchases. Yeah, and so when we asked the follow-up question uh, specifically, plans for farm machinery purchases in the upcoming year compared to a year ago. So all through the winter, that that percentage of people saying they were going to reduce their purchases was hanging at about 35 to 37%. And then we kind of jumped up this month to 46%. Uh, and that occurred primarily because people that said that they were gonna hold their purchases constant with a year ago, switched over to the lower category because the, the people that plan to increase their pharmaceutical purchases held constant. Um, that came in at 14%, same as last month. Uh, the highest that's ever been is 15%. So I see a little bit of a bimodal distribution here. There's a group of people out there who do unequivocally plan to increase their purchases. And there's this larger group that's kind of vacillating a little bit between keeping their purchases about steady to maybe pulling back a little bit, which is kind of interesting. And as you point out, given the strength we've seen in crop profitability, a little surprising. What, what do you think is behind that, Michael? Well, it, it, I think part of what might be going on here is we all know that that different but producers respond differently to uncertain risk and uncertainty. And I think there's a group out there, as you were saying earlier, that's really worried about the volatility in the market right now and where prices are going to actually end up uh, this fall and next winter. That's a good point. And I think we're picking that up with that farm financial profitability index with that coming in at the second highest reading. They're still saying things right now are still pretty good but I'm not sure about where it's going to be in the future. And that's going to influence my best investment decisions, right? So we had a new question this month that we plan to continue asking. And that is uh, to kind of differentiate a little bit between farm machinery and buildings uh, and buildings and, and grain bins. So the new question is compared to a year ago, what are your plans for constructing new farm buildings and or grain bins in the upcoming year? And so keep in mind, first time we ever asked this question, we don't have a history on it, but 59% of the people in the survey said they plan to reduce or lower their purchases for uh, constructing new farm buildings and or grain bins. And I didn't expect that to be that negative. And I also think that that probably helps explain a good chunk of the negativity we saw in the Farm Capital Investment Index. What's your take, Michael? Yeah, I think that's definitely the case. And and, and the fact that we've got a uh, shortage of supplies, uh, so increases in prices of supplies is really driving that question at this point. Yeah, pr prices of, of building supplies and, and to some extent maybe the challenge and even can getting a crew in to, to, to do something, right? So we're hearing a lot of that in the building construction industry that the firms are completely booked. Uh, so that could be a challenge as well. 
So the positive aspect of the survey this month is people remain very positive on farmland values. Uh, the long-term farmland value expectation index hit a record high of 158. That's up 10 points compared to a month earlier. And, you know, that index has been hanging in that kind of upper 150s. So 158 is a little higher than it was two months ago, but not much. I think just maybe one point or so. So people remain very optimistic about farmland values, uh, both short run and long run. Um, we did a new question this month. We did a follow-up. We asked people about their farmland cash rental expectations. And two-thirds of the corn and soybean farmers in our survey, and that's the group we focused on, said that they expect cash runner rates in 2022 to rise. So then we did a follow-up with them. And among those people that expect a rise in cash runner rates, 39% say they expect to see rates rise from five to as much as 10% or just below 10%. And 43% said they expect rates to rise by 10% or more. What do you make of that, Michael? This was really interesting. I'm glad we asked this question. And I, I think it's consistent with the thought that, that returns were fairly good for crop producers in 2020. 2021 looks fairly good. And if you look at the futures prices out to 2022, uh, 2022 looks like it's going to be better than 19. And so if we really do have three years in a row of uh, pretty strong margins to crop producers, that's certainly going to create upward pressure on cash rent. And so I wasn't that surprised that we saw, uh, you know, 43%. Uh, they expect rates to rise more than 10%. Now, it's important to point out, this is 2022. Uh, the, rise, the rise or the increases in 2021 are, are likely to be much, much smaller because when those cash rents were being negotiated, uh, prices hadn't uh, weren't as strong. Uh, our price prospects weren't as strong. And so now that we have fairly strong price prospects uh, uh, for 2022, uh, we're seeing that upward pressure in cash rent. So, Michael, you've looked at these cash front rates, particularly in Indiana, but also nationwide, uh, in a lot of detail. And particularly, I know you worked closely with a graduate student a couple of years ago looking at rates. How many times have we seen cash rental rates on average rise by more than 10 percent? It's not very common, but it did it did occur in that uh, in that 2010, 2011, 2012 period. Uh, that would be the most recent period where we saw you know two three years in a row with with pretty large increases in cash rents. And and if you look back at that period, it takes several years in a, in a row of strong returns. That's why I emphasized you know 2020, 2021, and 2022 are relatively strong. Uh, you, you create a perfect storm, if you will, uh, for seeing a large increase in, in cash rents. Uh, in 2022. Uh, one year doesn't do it because people respond to a, a one year of high returns, but they don't respond very strongly to that because they know that that might be fleeting, uh, that, that those strong returns aren't going to stay. But when you see two, three years, Years in a row, uh, you know, back in that 2007 to 2013 period, we saw several years in a row. That's when you see the large increases in cash rent. Yeah, it was it was interesting to me. I was expecting people to just uh, reveal that they expected to see some higher cash rental rates um, coming in. I didn't necessarily expect roughly four out of ten to say they ex would see rates or thought rates would rise by ten percent or more. So, um, and we're we're recording this now. Uh, on the cusp of Purdue doing its annual 
a farmland value and cash rent survey, which normally takes place here in June. So we'll have those results, I think, available in July. It's going to be very interesting to see what we what we see with respect to some of the expectations coming out of that survey, which is a more detailed survey and a more kind of a lengthy survey compared to what this is. But I'm looking forward to that. That's going to be very interesting to see how that plays out. So one of the things that I thought would be interesting to, to look under the hood a little bit and try and explain some of the negativity we saw in the barometer itself uh, relates to a difference in expectations for the livestock, livestock versus the crop sectors. So one of the questions we use to help uh, compute the barometer itself uh, says, over the next five years, are widespread good times or bad times more likely? And we ask that relative to the livestock and crop sectors. In other words, producers tell us whether or not they expect to see good times in the livestock sector, bad times in the livestock sector, same thing on the crop sector. So if you look at the responses for the percent expecting good times, the divergence between the good time expectation in the crop sector and the livestock sector is very apparent. Um, and it's changed over roughly the last uh, six or seven months, especially the last couple of months. So if you look at, uh, for example, the percentage expecting good times in the crop sector, I think back in March, that was 40%. In April, that was 50%. And here in the May survey, that rose up to 54%. So they expect to see good times in the crop sector over the next five years. On the livestock side, I think back in March, it was 29% said they expect to see good times. In April, it was 33%. And then it dropped kind of hard here, this, this here in May, from 33 to 26%. So the divergence in expectations between the crop sector and the livestock sector is very interesting. And uh, Michael, I don't know about you, but I kind of think in future surveys, we need to find some ways to explore what is driving some of that negativity in the livestock side. I would definitely agree. I mean, we, it's important to point out here that we primarily have beef producers and cow-calf producers at that. Uh, so that's pretty important to point out. I mean, uh, you know, swine uh, swine producers are, are you know have, have some pretty good prices right now, but feed costs are high. Uh, but it would be nice to nice to explore. Uh, you know, what's explaining this? Yeah, that's a good point. I think uh, in our survey, because it's weighted by the census of agriculture, uh, weights that are derived from the census of agriculture. Um, I think roughly what 19% approximately of the uh, survey respondents each month have a, a beef enterprise. So that is by far and away the largest livestock sector in our survey. And there's obviously been some very big concerns about what's going on in the beef sector with respect to pricing here over not just the last couple of months, but longer term. So that might be one of the drivers. But I think if you think about some of the negativity we're picking up in the barometer, I think this divergence in expectations across the two sectors might might be one of the drivers in that, in the sort of- Yeah, it certainly would be interesting to ask a question related to feed costs, maybe a couple of questions related to feed costs, see if that's driving, driving that divergence. Yeah, good point. Um, and then a follow-up to some questions we've been asking here for the last several months. We continue to ask questions about tax policy and, the implications and concerns people might have. And so we've got a whole series of questions in there, but the one that I kind of wanted to focus on here is the one about um, changes in estate tax policy 
possibly making it more difficult to pass your farm on the next generation of farmers and your family. And, you know, this is the second month in a row we've asked the question. The responses are very consistent. Um, roughly eight out of 10 people in the survey, both months, uh, are telling us that they think some of the cons uh, changes in the state tax policy are, in fact, going to make it more difficult uh, to make uh, the transition to the next generation. So they're saying they're very concerned. And truthfully, if you add in the somewhat concern, you're up to almost roughly 95% of the people in the survey. So um, what's your take, Michael? This isn't real surprising because if you look under the hood a little bit, and we did in some questions look under the hood a little bit. If you look under the hood a little bit, there's several things that are being discussed that would be very negative from an estate tax policy for, for farms and ranches. One of those is, is a, uh, a reduction or elimination of step-up and basis for inherited property. That would have huge implications on, on taxes. Also a lowering of the, of the exclusion amount. So uh, smaller estates would have to pay estate taxes. Uh, and, that's, and, and that lowering could be substantial. Uh, and so they're worried about that. And also the in possible increase in capital gains taxes. You combine all of those things and you're looking at a situation uh, that's gonna adversely impact uh, farms and ranches that wanna pass on the farm to the next generation. Yeah, I think, you know, one of the things that uh, policymakers need to understand is that this change in policy and the state taxes could really have a differential impact on agriculture. Uh, agriculture is an industry that's very asset heavy. The biggest class of assets for farms and ranches is land. And um, that capital intensive nature means by definition, if you change the way you tax the states, it's going to be difficult, much more difficult uh, to to pass an estate on and pass a farm uh, operation on to the next generation. So um, we'll continue to ask some questions on this going forward, but yeah. it's pretty clear. Uh, I, I, two things I think are clear. One is people are aware of the discussions that are taking place, and two, they're concerned about it, right? And it has ramifications beyond just estate taxes. Certainly, if 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 you have if you change the state tax policy, particularly substantially, that also could impact land values. And as you indicated, you know, land is by far and away the biggest asset on a farm balance sheet. Uh, anything you do to to impact land values, particularly negatively, does have an impact on on the financial situation on the farm uh, from a, a solvency standpoint. And so there's some ramifications even beyond estate tax policy, uh, you know, related to these changes. Changes. Yeah, good point. Well, Michael, that kind of wraps up our discussion of the May Ag Economy Barometer. So for more details, you can go to the website, purdue.edu slash agbarometer. Um, I'd encourage you to consider joining us for our next corn and soybean outlook webinar. We mentioned the volatility that's taking place there. We've been doing these webinars each month following uh, USDA's release of their World Ag Supply Demand Estimates. So that webinar will take place on Monday, June 14th at 12.30 p.m. And of course, if you register for the webinar, uh, you can always watch it at your leisure. We record those and post them on YouTube and our center's YouTube channel as soon as uh, we can within a few hours usually. So you can register for the webinar at our website, purdue.edu slash commercial ag. And so uh, I encourage you to share the podcast with your friends and colleagues. And on behalf of Michael Langemeyer and the Purdue University Center for Commercial Agriculture, I'm Jim Mintert. Thanks for listening.